Good morning, good afternoon, good night. However you're listening to this Drop Zone podcast, I am your host, Sean Zock. Joining me, of course, is Dylan DeChair. He was down at the PNC Championship in Orlando. We're going to have six or seven or eight questions for Dylan on that. No filibustering. That's our favorite question segment. And then after that, we've got Kira K. Dixon, the Golf Channel reporter that you see on your TVs asking the hard questions, sometimes the easy questions. Uh, We asked her some questions. And uh, she lived up to the billing, so you can fast forward to that if you don't want to hear Dylan talk about the PNC. But it was the fifth major of the year. Dylan, have you ever had so much fun in Orlando? Oh, man. That's a really good question, Sean, because we've spent some time in Orlando. We've attended a PGA show or two together, um, which typically just ends up in a lot of, like, you know, there's just too much talking and it's too loud. You lose your voice. It's always a little colder than you expect. So it doesn't really live up to expectations. Um, this was the opposite. I would say that I went in with relatively tempered expectations. I was mostly, I was, I was curious what we would see from Tiger. I'd seen him in the Bahamas. He was walking around. That was all good. It was encouraging. He was hitting a few golf balls. So I kind of thought that we would learn everything we were going to learn on Friday in the practice round. Like the first time we saw him hit balls, you can't really extrapolate that much from what he's going to do in a two-man scramble. Um, But then Sunday flipped everything on its head. It got to be so much fun. I mean, they went from the edge of contention. They started hot, made a couple birdies and an eagle. But in this format it's always the illusion that you're actually in contention because (laughs) the groups that start early make the birdies, but everyone's birdieing every hole. So it's really just a matter of how many holes you have left. Um, So Tiger and Charlie took a lead on the front nine, but it was basically a fake lead. And then they got closer and closer and closer to the lead because they just kept making birdies uh, on the back nine. I mean, it was awesome. There, the crowd there was pretty limited. It was small, like only 2,500 people plus, you know, probably some VIPs. But it got electric. It started to feel real. Um, I wrote a column about this last night, but I think we're so conditioned to uh, see any golf tournament where Tiger Woods is in contention wearing red on Sunday. That's what's important. Like that makes it an important golf tournament. And so this became an important golf tournament instantly in that moment. So to answer your question, Sean, no, this is the most fun I've ever had in Orlando. I wish that my drop zone co-host was there, but short of that, uh, this really maxed out on expectations. I was curious if you were ever going to actually answer the question because, you know, as a rule with these question segments, we don't filibuster. We answer them right up. No filibustering. This is the most fun I've ever had in Orlando, Sean. All right, good. Um, Question number two, will we overreact to this two-man scramble performance? And, you know, Tiger and Charlie, they were in contention. Yes, they made a par on 18, so they did not really push John Daly and his son. But will will we overreact to their performance? And secondary to that, if the answer is yes, is that okay? Is it okay to overreact? Yes, we're overreacting. I mean, what's lost in this is this is one of the great ham and egg jobs of our time. These guys were not (laughs) both hitting it to three feet particularly often. It was an epic combo of one guy stepping up when it was needed or the other guy, you know, Charlie missing a putt and then Tiger pouring it in. The way that these guys contended was like a real uh, 
exhibit of how to play scramble golf. I mean, it was really good, but there were times where Tiger looked incredible. But then there were also times where he looked fairly pedestrian. His son carried him the last few holes. Charlie basically played his own ball, 16, 17, 18. Um, (laughs) He birdied 16 and 17 on his own. And so we're probably overreacting on both ends. We're probably overreacting with, you know, how close Tiger Woods is to winning a major. We're probably overreacting with how close Charlie Woods is to winning a major. (laughs) Is that okay? Yeah, it's fine. As long as as long as we're not actually saying here's the Charlie Woods thing, right? As long as we're not actually saying, okay, this guy is gonna be a great PGA tour player, and we're saying, Man, this is awesome. This is really cool to watch Charlie with his dad. Also, he's sick. What does being sick at age twelve mean? Does it mean he's in the top ten in his age group in his county in Florida? Who cares? It doesn't matter. He's really good. He's got an awesome swing. It's really fun to watch him with Tiger. So we can overreact, but as long as we're not like putting this weird long-term pressure on him, I think that's fine. Yeah. you, Dylan, you are a scratch golfer, and um, I'm just kind of curious for conditions-wise, for people to understand what 15-under on an 18-hole round looks like to shoot 57, like how good would your partner in a two-man scramble need to be for you guys to shoot 15-under? Would they have to be plus three, plus yeah. four? I was texting with one of my buddies who's, you know, like a probably a two handicap about this, and we were trying to – we were like, what would we shoot in this thing? Because it's just the relentlessness of it that makes it so difficult. It's one thing in a four-man scramble. If you have four good players in a four-man scramble, you're going to birdie every single hole. You're going to make some eagles. Like, mm-hmm. There's a lot of leeway there, but in a two-man scramble – there's this weird pressure that exists because once your partner hits a bad shot, it's all on you. It's almost more difficult than if you're just playing your own ball. So I think that you really need two players playing around scratch to to even have a prayer of getting to that number. And even then, you need to make putts. Like you you can't rely on three other people like you would in your charity scramble. They they played a five man scramble for the pro am on mm-hmm. uh on Friday. And that's certainly a more forgiving format. I think that you really need, you need at least a plus handicap paired with someone that's playing close to scratch or at least, at least hits the equivalent of good shots of like a close to scratch player, like hitting it to 30 feet is yeah, it doesn't do you almost any useless. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's, that becomes the pressure on Charlie. Hey, here's a 160 yard par three. Here's a 175 yard par three. You got to hit it to where we can make birdie from. And he yeah. was able to do that. And that's what stood out. Question number three is nothing to do with Charlie. Uh, it is like what one aspect of Tiger's game was the most impressive or surprising? Those might be two different questions, you know, impressive and surprising, but you went down there knowing you were going to see him hit a bunch of shots, um, ride in a cart for most of the time. And you were going to probably, he was going to show some rust. He's going to show some brilliance. That's kind of the tiger MO, but what was most impressive or surprising about his game? Yeah. So I'll start with most impressive. And that is just the way he looks with a wedge in his hand. Uh, the distance control that has always probably been his best and also most underrated, trait is still there. I mean, he's hitting, 
if he's hitting a 120 yard wedge shot, you wouldn't necessarily know that anything has changed from crazy, you know, two years ago, which is crazy. Um, so that looks really good. And by the way, Charlie definitely has that too. I don't know if it's DNA thing and osmosis thing, if Tiger has drilled that into him, but his wedge distance control, that's what stands out. Uh, I think what was most surprising to me was that Tiger is hitting driver way harder than I expected. Um, on number 10, or sorry, number 13 is this almost drivable par four. Uh, John Daly's kid lipped out for a hole in one in a practice <laughs> round. So if you're a big hitter, you can get there. And it was downwind and the tees were up yesterday. So Tiger actually hit driver. Uh, he waited for a while, hit this kind of high slice. That's He's struggling to like not hit it heely or chunky. Like Driver was a little inconsistent for him. But he hit this ball that ballooned a little bit out to the right. He said it was kind of weak and spinny. That's what he told his buddy Rob after he hit it. And I saw later on the broadcast he'd hit 174 ball speed on that. So he was definitely not maxed out. And yet, that's still a that's a big number. It's not Bryson yeah. territory, but it's above PGA Tour average. So I was surprised that the speed was there. Uh, he needs more consistency with the driver. But yeah, it, it was all closer than I expected. Yeah, speed is not something that is created just with your arms, just with your upper body. Like A lot of speed on the PGA Tour comes from loading into your lower body. Uh, I, think, I think that's got to be the most surprising thing of, of Tiger's week. The fact that... Yeah. He's he's gonna swing as hard right now, eight uh, well nine and a half to ten months after his accident, as as hard as the rest of the tour. Like essentially nothing's changed. Tiger is not swinging any softer than he, than he did a year ago, twelve months ago. That's bananas. It is bananas, and he's obsessed with it. Clearly, also, I mean, he talks about it constantly. He he's very self conscious about it. I guess he keeps. Uh, downplaying his speed, talking about how the ball is falling out of the sky. But he was also talking a lot with Justin Thomas about it during the practice round. Um, and during their first round, I guess, they were talking about uh, Kyle Berkshire and what he does. They were talking mm-hmm. about some moves of, you know, flexing the left knee and straightening the right hip and essentially just different ways to create more torque. Um, but also work within the limitations of Tiger's body. So Tiger was asking JT for his advice, essentially what he would do if he was in Tiger's position. JT is crushing the ball, by the way. He's hitting it definitely further than he ever has. Um, Wow. But yeah, it's definitely something that Tiger's focused on. Let's move on. Question number four. This is probably the one that the most people care about. Will Tiger Woods play a PGA Tour event in January? Oh, no. He will not. All right. Hold on. February. Uh, Will Tiger Woods play a PGA Tour event in February? No. He will not. How about March? (laughs) Um, Then we're talking Bay Hill. We're talking players. Valspar? I don't think so. Valspar? Oh, man. Oh, the folks in Tampa are cooking up some articles right now. I can just... They're, they're going to be reading the tea leaves and thinking maybe there's a chance that Tiger heads over to Innisbrook to make his debut there. Uh, this feels like another Tiger Woods Masters debut year because wow. he's sort of planted the flag that that's a place that he likes to make comebacks. 
Uh, he likes controlled environments. I mean, the Bahamas is extremely controlled. He literally owns the golf course and the tournament. He effectively owns this golf course and tournament that we just played at too. The, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, you are the PNC. owner. Tiger, you are the captain now <laughs> of the PNC. I mean, there's only 2,500 people there. It's pretty limited. There was still like a frenzy around him. Um, but he likes that control, even the little things. He always set up on the far left side of the range and only the right side of the range is accessible to the general public. So there's all these little <laughs> things that you can control at these miniature Privacy. tournaments that you yeah, that you wouldn't really be able to have as much control over at, say, Torrey Pines or, mm -hmm. I mean... The players is a zoo, man. Like that's a great golf tournament, but if that's the first time you're really gonna play stroke play golf, do you really want to take the risk that you're gonna hit three balls in the water on 17? I don't know. <laughs> All right, that's probably just a, a topic that we are going to continually get asked about, and we're not gonna know until Tiger shows up. That's the kind of thing. Like he will not be teasing this until he teases it. He will not it will not leak out to the media. Tiger Woods is coming back. That's gonna be something that Tiger tweets out, right? Totally. It's gonna be a, yeah, at a weird time, Friday afternoon, sometime. It's funny. So Matt Kuchar played with Tiger yesterday and he essentially said Tiger's game is PGA tour ready right now. <laughs> like it is it's there. He, he was blown away by the speed, by the flushness, everything. Tiger Woods was asked about that. The last question of his press conference. He said, no, 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 no. I totally disagree. I'm not at that level. I can't compete against these guys right now. No, it's going to take a lot of work to get to where I feel like I can compete with these guys and be at a high level. So Okay, so then, then tell people why he won't play. Like, he is can't it walk. as simple as he, he can't walk? Yeah, yeah. that's – I mean – it, that's not the only thing it's 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 his walking and it's his endurance and i guess endurance means walking but it also means hitting driver uh you know 10 or 12 times around it means not being able to say hey charlie just hit one in the fairway i'm gonna wait back here if you hit a bad drive then i'll tee tee one up and you know instead of playing 36 holes or 45 holes or you know whatever the equivalent is of what they played it really means playing at least 81 probably 90 holes in a week it means practicing mm. hitting balls at home uh, it means just doing a lot of golf things he definitely wants to do it there's no question about that or else he wouldn't be so obsessed with all this stuff um, but it's going to take time yeah uh, well, I think an important part of that is he does host an event in late February, mm -hmm. the Genesis Invitational, at a tournament that I guess a course you can kind of you can get around by shooting 70s every single round. That will be, you know, I guess a, a, a spot on the calendar that people circle for now. Question number five, Dylan. A lot of people play golf like me. Yours truly, eight handicap. I hit the ball, two sixty five, two seventy off the tee when I when I catch it pretty good. Would Charlie Woods beat me, in eight handicap? Who hits it like that? From the same tees. Same tees. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I added that tees question just to. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he could play a longer tee and still beat you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, he's he's really good. He's a low single-digit handicapped golfer. Um, 
You know, he was playing for maybe 6,100 yards. He hit a lot of shots that were really close. I mean, he's hitting it maybe 240, 250 off the tee, but a lot of stuff is is online. The wedges go the right distance. He hits quite a few wedges that stop inside 10 feet. I mean, he he's legit. It was interesting, though. Tiger said a couple weeks ago, he said it was nice to have some time to go watch Charlie play tournaments because Tiger had to figure out how he was shooting such high scores. I think that means, you know, rounds in the 80s. But it's sort of a classic 12-year-old thing where you haven't figured out, you know, everything about managing your game. He definitely has some of Tiger's hot temper. Um, But Charlie loves it. I think that's one thing that I learned being there this year there's so much hand wringing on the internet about oh is this too much or (laughs) is the you know it's it's kind of this tired discourse already around charlie but like charlie loves watching highlight videos of himself afterwards like he's into it and he doesn't play into the crowd he doesn't he doesn't really wave he doesn't tip his cap he doesn't like he doesn't really acknowledge anyone he's in this little tunnel which is great, but I think he gets a lot of joy still out of moving the needle and being in competition. One of my favorite things, two of my favorite things, Sean, uh, one was on the first tee, he refused to look at Justin Thomas, and he refused he refused to even ride over to the first tee with Justin Thomas because uh, I think he called him the enemy. He didn't want to play, uh, he wanted to play some mind games with him. And, uh, and then on the final green, the 18th green, there was this group of like nine to 12 year olds that was just gathered. They were led by Carl Stenson, Henrik's kid, who's 11. And you could just tell they were like just pulling hard for Charlie. They wanted him to make this chip on 18. Uh, but it was so cool. It's like the, the Charlie effect is very real, especially in a young generation. Yeah, I love that. Our final question has nothing to do with the Woods family. Who else impressed you? in any way possible down at the PNC. I had never seen Nelly Corda play real live actual golf holes before. And uh, I watched her hit like balls for a while. She just got this mesmerizing golf swing. But then I went out and was just walking through a bunch of groups just to try to make sure I saw everyone yesterday. Um, and there was Nelly in, in Lee Trevino's group, probably 160 yards away, found her on the sixth hole. You know, she hits it. I'm up by the green. You're waiting for the ball to land. And then it's like, whoosh, and it just sticks like two feet from the hole. I was like, damn, okay. And uh, watched her for a few holes and she hits it far, man. I mean, she was, it's hard to compare because she's playing with Lee Trevino, who's 112, and uh, his son, who hits it pretty far. But, you know, she's playing a long golf course, 6,600 yards. And still hitting a bunch of three woods off the tee because she can. Like, that's not an issue. Yeah. Um, she was really impressive. But then the grinders are impressive to me also. Like, coming outside <laughs> of the media center after writing something, the sun setting, it's a little after 5 p.m. You know, these guys have obligations, they have dinners, etc. It's the PNC championship also. Like, this is not a, a legacy make or break event but there's vj singh just hitting balls on the range his son's there like his son has wrapped up his 
uh, range session long since, but he's just kind of hanging around waiting for his dad. There's Padraig Harrington hitting putts on the practice screen. I mean, it's just in these guys' DNA. It's like, I'm at a golf tournament. I'm going to work through some things late into the night, even though I've been doing this for decades and decades. So I think just the that lifelong grinder mentality, that really stood out to me too. The PNC, is it the fifth major, right? I mean, gosh, this event now carries so much weight to it at the end of the season, so long as Tiger Woods is playing. I think everyone had a lot of fun this year, and I think that that's good. Um, if Tiger's not playing, <laughs> I mean, this is a real 0-60 to 60 situation because, <laughs> look, Tiger is, he is, he's the rising tide, right? And, and the boat's need the tide because without him without him we're not watching but with him all these other guys get a lot more fun i mean carl stenson was a mm-hmm. riot you know and i don't see anyone hand-wringing about exploiting carl stenson for being this funny little <laughs> swedish kid with a nice long golf swing um the dailies get more entertaining uh the entire situation just gets you know lifted up lee trevino Seeing him interact with the woodses on the range, you know, that's pretty cool. And that's a situation that you obviously just don't get if you don't have the woodses. Um, he did not want to discuss that, by yeah. the way. He had very he had less than zero interest in talking about private matters. Um, anyway, it was a lot of fun. Is it the fifth major? I get the fifth major is whatever event Tiger Woods plays next, or maybe what, whatever event Charlie <laughs> Woods plays next, too. But yeah. Man, it was it was a great week. I was glad I was there. All right. Well, that is enough PNC talk. That is about what twenty one minutes more PNC talk than I was planning on us having a month ago, which is a victory for the PNC and this podcast. We hey, have shout out to the more- brands. You know, no free ads, but PNC, man, you guys, you played this one right. They really have. Um, the drop zone is not over though, because we have an interview with Kira K. Dixon, everyone's favorite Golf Channel reporter, at least I think so. I think the Drop Zone's favorite Golf Channel reporter. Is that fair to say? Oh, we're biased. If you come on our show, boom, <laughs> straight to the top. We don't ask for a whole lot, but we did ask for 25 minutes of Kira's time, something like that. Uh, she broke down her first year on the golf beat, meaning from the Genesis Invitational, you know, a couple days before Tiger's car crash, all the way through, gosh, the fall season, you know, it's kind of a, she kind of has a PGA tour season, right? Kind of like PGA tour players do where you go from event to event, to event, to event, and you kind of have to do the same thing every single week, but it's kind of different and kind of new. And you have to know a lot about the people around you. So she broke all of that down and a number of other things in an interview. Dylan, any other thoughts on that? Yeah, it was fun. It was, it was interesting to talk to Kira because she comes from this, you know, world of pageants and certainly of like learning how to think on your feet, how to be on display, how to be in the public eye. Uh, but entering the golf world is clearly a different thing and being there week to week, building relationships, figuring out, you know, who you can ask, which types of questions, and also just how much support or lack thereof there is in those moments, I think was all pretty interesting. So give it a listen. Here's Kira K. Dixon. All right, we are here with Kira K. Dixon, who is joining us from New York City, actually, right now, yeah. enjoying a little bit of time off. 
Um, now that the golf season is whatever we call it, the golf season is never really on pause, but it's at least December. Kira, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And yes, it is nice to take a little bit of a breather, but I'm already thinking about everything in January. So it's going to be here before we know it. As I'm sure you guys can relate to. When does your tour season get going next year? Uh, I think my first event back will be farmers. And then I go ham after that. It's like, you guys won't talk to me again until August, probably. Are you, are you fatigued? Like, or are you, is this like your, your, your kind of catch your breath period time of year? Like what, what was your kind of energy towards the end of this past golf season? And are you, are you actually getting a break? Yes. So, um, so this was my first year in this kind of full-time role doing a reporter gig for the golf channel for golf central was my like main, um, main job. And it was, I mean, just imagine you're learning everything new every week, you know, there's, you know, new tournament directors, you know, players change there. Some people are in, some people are out all the staff, everything's constantly changing and just the flow of how everything works. So every week was just kind of starting from scratch and learning all of that. So, and it was like, it's amazing. It's the best thing ever. But by the end of, you know, nine, eight months of doing that, it's it's a little tiring. So at the end of uh, the RSM was my, my last event. I was ready to go home. I was very happy to have a little bit. Did you take vacation? I mean, I'm on my vacation right now. I'm on Okay. 10 days in New York. So, and I, I, um, I can't, you can't feel too bad for me because in the middle of all of that, I went to Hawaii for a month. So. Okay. <laughs> all right. So you're doing okay. I'm doing just, I even, have high end problems, high end problems in life. <laughs> we didn't even really give you a full proper introduction there, but Kira K. Dixon is a reporter for NBC and golf channel. I mean, you, you, if you're listening to this podcast, you've already seen her on your television, uh, interviewing players, giving reports, bringing the information from the course to your TV screens. Um, but Kira, for people that might not know any of your backstory, I was wondering if you could walk us through how you ended up in this role, um, where, what the last few years have been like, if, if this yeah. has been a linear path or not. How did you end up with this job? It's a great question. Um, it's definitely not a linear path. I probably had a more unique path than maybe most folks that end up in the golf space or the reporting space. Um, most people will start with like, you know, they're writers or they are local news reporters and they work their way up and they, they end up in, in this sort of a, a space. Um, I, I never thought that I would be a reporter, certainly not in golf. I grew up playing golf, but I didn't realize that this sort of career path could exist. Um, and through a much longer story that we can do another podcast on another time, I became Miss America six years ago. Um, and that kind of changed my life path. I knew you were just going to casually slip that in. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, I had like gotten into law school. I was, I was going to do something completely different and then life had its own plan. And I spent an entire year fully immersed in not necessarily reporting, but constantly being uh, on at these media appearances and make meet, meeting amazing individuals and making amazing connections and just realizing that there was so much more in the world that I could pursue than I ever had even imagined for myself. And the security director at Miss America also runs the security at the BMW Pro-Am on then the web.com tour. And as soon as I came off the stage, like literally still shaking with adrenaline, having won, he grabbed my arm and he said, Kira, congratulations. Do you know how to play golf? And I was like, uh, 
yes, Rodney, I, I actually can play golf. And he was like, oh, no one said yes in years. So apparently he asks every year. Um, and I didn't exactly know the implications of that answer at the time. And six months later, I found myself playing in the celebrity division of the BMW Pro-Am on the Gorn Ferry Tour. And the Golf Channel interviewed me and also broke down my swing in slow motion, which was very unkind at the time because I was, <laughs> I was just getting back into playing competitively like that. And I just got exposed to this world of, of golf and golf media specifically. So I started pursuing it more and more. It just kind of happened naturally. I was hosting events and pro-ams and charity things. And, you know, one thing leads to another and it's a very small world, as you guys know. And I uh, did a lot of hosting for Golf Channel, mostly in their travel and lifestyle stuff, but I always wanted to pursue this uh, serious reporting path and it worked out and here I am. Yeah, I mean, I feel like your first week on the gig last year was the Genesis Invitational. Pr pretty big uh, week on the gig, right? Yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> what do you want me to do? Uh, but it worked out. It was great. Um, it was uh, an amazing learning experience. And I mean, my first week, I was interviewing every big name in golf, including Tiger. And we had the amazing playoff between uh, Max Homa and Tony Finau. And like, I had never... I had never been in that situation where there's a playoff and you don't know where the interview is actually going to happen and you have to still know what's going on. And I'm no longer watching a monitor or able to listen. I'm like running with the cameraman trying to find where we're going to go. And like they stick a microphone in your in your face and they're like, OK, go like interview Tony after this, you know, really tough loss in the playoff. And um, yeah, so that was a quick uh, kind of baptism by fire of finding your footing in the golf reporting space. <laughs> But it, it all worked out. It was great. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned earlier going to all this pageant stuff that you kind of had to be on and you had to be on a yeah. lot of the time. I'm curious if that prepared you in any way to interview people like you who kind of have to be on. These golfers, yeah. they just play. They finish a 72-hole tournament, sometimes more than 72 holes, and suddenly there's a camera and a microphone in their face. They got to be on again. Uh, how did that, I guess, prepare you and what, where has that helped you? Look, I can totally relate in some way, shape or form to what those guys go through. Uh, you know, you're having a bad day. You really don't want to do that or you're tired or you just didn't play well or whatever, you know, whatever the pageant equivalent of that is. I've certainly had those feelings, <laughs> but as they say, life is a pageant. So you must be on and glitter and <laughs> they say that they say that it's a thing, uh, but it is, I mean, this is all you know, the this is an entertainment product. It is a pageant, right? In some way, shape or form. It's people coming out, being their best selves, trying to put their best foot forward in front of an audience. Uh, and it's, it's very similar. So I can relate to them and understand them in a certain level, of course, not to the level, level that they play golf at, but in terms of having to have that connection and that there's, there's a much more to being a professional golfer than just playing golf. And they have to be able to manage that, figure that out along with also being really, really good at something that's really, really hard. So when you have a moment like that at the Genesis with Tony Fina, who's coming off a heartbreaking loss, have you then talked through some questions that you want to ask with like a brain trust? Is that you in real time? Just being instinctive? Yeah. Like, how does that happen? This is, I mean, you can't ahead of time call the brain trust and say, you know, if so, if Tony Fino happens to be in a playoff, like what should I say? I mean, that that is a pure adrenaline. Let's just hope whatever comes out of my mouth 
is good and that I don't freeze on camera and like just stare at Tony. So thankfully that didn't happen. Um, things came out of my mouth that seemed to make sense, but yeah, your, your job is to ask the questions. So you can certainly, I mean, I've spent a lot of time with a lot of really talented individuals at the golf channel, talking through how they see interviews and, um, giving me advice and they set me up with a mentor and I've, I've, I've really gotten a great, um, learning experience from the people that I work with and the really talented colleagues I have. Uh, but when you're out there, it's just you. So you gotta hope for the best. Okay. So let's imagine I just played the round of my life and I won the Genesis Invitational and you don't know anything about me. Wow. I thought you were <laughs> going to set your sights like a little bit lower than that, Sean. Like maybe you broke 80. No. <laughs> okay I, I broke 80 like a you don't know or something yeah and you don't know anything about me uh but you have to come up to yeah. Sean Zock and and ask the question what are you asking me first I, I think that the easiest place to go is to just describe your emotions in the moment just just open up the the uh, floor for them like you have to remember that it's not about you it's really not that hard you just have to facilitate their speaking about emotions right because that's what people want to hear about you know um, if, if let's say, presumably I watched a, at least a little bit of your round, Sean, you know, what were you thinking on that putt on the 18th hole when you knew that all of this was on the line, it would mean so much was, were you good? Was that going through your head or were you just focused on the shot? And then hopefully you say something that's not a one word, one word answer. That's what, what happens when you get the one word answer. You just you keep going. You inside. like, I, I've gotten plenty, plenty of one word answers where they just say yes or no. And you're like, okay, well, why? or how, or can you describe that a little bit more? And then it's a little harder for them to get out of that. All right, so let's do a little bit of year in review then. From your first year, what do you think was the very scariest moment that you faced on the job? My scariest moment? Well, I'll, I can tell you about my biggest fail. One of my biggest fails. Totally, that was gonna be <laughs> next week and just combo those answers. Well, okay, there, no, there were some scary, okay, scary, um, I'll go scary. I mean, and then you had to interview you. Tiger Woods. That comes to mind. That might be kind yeah, of intimidating. Yeah. So I will say um, working with Tiger and his foundation specifically was one of my first jobs in golf. Oh, that's right. So I actually right. felt quite comfortable history, in yeah. that. Yeah. They, they, um, they hired me to host uh, or help host Tiger Jam, which is an event they have in Vegas for um, the TGR Foundation. So I, I've gotten some um, opportunities to interview him before. So thank God for that uh, because it wasn't as, it wasn't scary at all. Um, but so the first time that I did a live green side interview in the broadcast, so not, not just doing the reporting job, but also getting to do the live and broadcast piece was at the corn Ferry tour championship. And you guys know that those storylines are so intense. Like, is this guy going to get through the top 25 to get his tour card? Oh, yeah. Is this guy going to come back from years and years of injury to cement his place on the PGA tour and get into the players and all of these other amazing things? Um, so you're not even just thinking about the winner. You're thinking about like Justin Lauer, who has been trying to do this forever and like has to get up and down on 18. At the There's Curry so National, much math so going hard. on at the end of the Corn Ferry tour too that. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to keep everything exactly. straight. So yeah. So to keep everything straight and just, I'm doing the green side post round winner interview live first time ever in my career. So there was light panic <laughs> going on. And I just, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I, I don't know. I was having serious doubt and he, Joseph Bramlett wins, who is an angel who's just so nice and wonderful and has become one of my favorite people to get to interview on tour. But 
I, you know, I walk up to him, I'm hearing them counting down in my ear and my heart is going and going. And I think it was, he was so happy and his energy just kind of calmed me in a way. And we, it, it, I blacked out and it <laughs> happened. It was a great interview. And I walked away from that with just so much adrenaline and like, you know what? Like I can do this. This is amazing. It just, it was like, it was like a drug. It was just, um, that's when, you know, like you're doing the right thing. So it was, it went from my scariest moment to just absolute elation and just being really thankful that I get to do this job. All right. So if that was a confidence builder, what was your biggest screw up? Okay. So I have, I've had many countless, countless screw ups. I'm sure. Um, Probably the one that just really hurt the most was there was a rain delay at maybe it was the wind. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember some event in the South. There's a rain delay. So I have to run into the truck. So we're doing, it's on a Thursday or a Friday. I have to run into the truck to do some interviews remotely from there while they've got players in whatever holding area that they've got them for COVID protocols. They're going to bring a couple of people in walk to kill time on the broadcast that are doing well. Eric Van Royen doing really well like just you know went on a crazy run for three or four holes and I looked on the shot link computer which for those that don't know is a way for us to get information in real time about nerd stuff yeah yeah (laughs) so I look at the shot link and it and and when I looked at it it or at least I I thought so it said that he had a 22 foot putt to make for birdie and so I was like, okay, great. So when he sits down, I'm going to say, okay, like, you know, you're thinking about this putt, blah, blah, blah. We're going to talk about it. So he sits down, I ask him the question and he goes, well, I already made the putt and, um, it was great, but, and it was just like this, my heart just sank and this is live on TV on the golf channel. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm working on some outdated information. I'm so sorry. And he was a great sport about it and it was fine. But just like, I was so excited to myself of like having this, this ready to go. And I just completely bombed. And then I like, couldn't really get it together for the rest of the interview. And like, <laughs> it was not, it's not going to win me an Emmy anytime soon. So how, how much do you hate rain delays? I hate them. It's a love hate relationship, but I also like them because it gives me more time to get to interview them. I mean, that's, that's what I'm there for. Right. So it's, yeah. it's, it's fun because you get to have those bit more relaxed moments, but yeah, the, like the, the thought of then being at the golf course for that much longer is also can be a lot when you've been there for weeks and weeks and weeks on end, but they have their um, high moments as well. Do you have a uh, favorite interview that you did last year, your first year on the gig? I mean, that Joseph Bramlett interview is definitely way up there. Um, I also got to interview Rory after his win at the CJ Cup. Yes, this is I like, loved that. This is his, I think his 20th win, which in a couple of years gets him to a lifetime membership on the PGA Tour. And it was this, it was the first event he played after the Ryder Cup. And there was still a ton of emotion coming out of him about that all week. People were asking him about it all week. I can't imagine how, you know, that thing we were talking about being on and having to talk about something maybe you don't want to. He's like being gracious about it, blah, 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 being very patient with everyone all week. And so to have the opportunity to be the one to ask him that and about the lifetime membership at the end of a really cool win. And like, there's so many great storylines. Like Ricky's giving him a run for his money. Like any anybody that won that day was gonna have a really cool story to walk away with. Um, so that, that's probably ranks up there pretty high. That was the interview when he said, I just need to focus on being me, right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like in your head, 
are you so into the interview that you don't even quite realize? But like, I, I knew when I saw it on TV, I'm like, oh wow, like people are gonna write headlines about that. Yeah. Like that's a huge, that's like a seminal quote. Did it feel like that in the moment? I mean, in the moment, I'm not processing that because I'm like, just don't screw up, don't screw up, don't screw up. So I'm just like focused on what's going on. But of course, later when I looked back and watched it and saw everybody's reactions to it, I was like, oh my gosh, like this was a real real moment for me with a huge player in the game that made me feel like, okay, like I'm, this isn't just like hoping to do this job anymore. Like I'm, I'm doing it. Do you see interviews as, um, conversations as relaxed interactions, or do you look at them as like something else where it's more performative on, etc.? No, I think the best interview is a conversation and it's so hard to do. It's, I think that that's the biggest craft of being a reporter to master is to have the confidence and the calmness to just talk. And that is the most difficult thing. Um, you know, you wouldn't think that because that's like a natural thing that we do, but um, like someone like Henny Koyak, um, who is uh, someone I really look up to and ask about all, you know, ask her a billion questions all the time. That's That was always her advice to me when I first started is like, you know, if I ask you a question, you're not going to sit there and think through your response before you <laughs> respond in our, just the two of us having a friendly conversation. You're just going to talk to me. So just talk to me. And it's easier said than done, but I think that was probably some of the best advice I got before I began this job. And the more conversational I can be, the better the interview always is. Totally. The, uh, the job, the role you play, I think, it's, it's a role you see in all kinds of sports, but it's, I think it's maybe a role that not everyone understands viewing from home. Like everyone thinks yeah. they can ask good questions. Um, and it's not so simple. Um, I am a good example of that. I think Dylan would agree. It's not easy. Uh, my no, question for you is like, is there an aspect about your job that you think is misunderstood uh, or maybe the most misunderstood or misperceived uh, aspect of, of being the interviewer, the reporter host? Sure. So, um, you know, social media is a great thing, but also can be really tough. And sometimes I get a lot of like, you know, especially if I'm standing in front of the cart doing an interview for Sky or, you know, just doing a post round or something like that. And I post a photo, people will comment on my appearance or just like you say, like, I'm just the girl with the mic or something, or just like assume that I'm just there holding a microphone and that's it. Um, in, you know, they'll, they'll make sexualized comments and so, just stuff that was like, not great to have to hear and listen through and deal with on a daily basis that the people kind of write you off as just like the blonde girl with the mic. Um, mm. Whereas in truth, like, I've worked so hard to be there and to do this. And I prepare so much each week and you know, like it's a thousand percent commitment all day, every day, especially when it comes to like learning about the players, building relationships with the players um, and, and building relationships within NBC and golf channel and the people that I work with and just learning from them and listening. Like it's, it's so all encompassing. Um, but those that are on the outside looking in just kind of see uh, a, a pretty picture from far away and they don't understand what actually it took to get there. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure if you spoke to some of my, my fellow reporters, they would tell you something very similar. Uh, it's just, a, I think, 
people don't understand how much actually goes into it, which I'm sure you guys can also yeah. relate to. In it's your funny. That's sure. actually, that's one of the reasons I brought up the question about, you know, whether you're consulting with people or just figuring stuff out in real time. So I remember Amanda Balionis, you know, someone saying like, oh yeah, you're just fed these questions anyway. And she was like, who do you think yeah. is, who do you think is feeding me these questions? Like, how do you think that even happens? Yeah. I would love to talk to yeah. them. And, and like, not to say that you wouldn't consult anyone. Cause like, I don't know, even when we're going to pre- into press conferences, we'll, we'll pregame sometimes and try to figure out what to ask people. But, but then in high stakes circumstances, I mean, I was getting some, some shit last week or whenever the Bahamas was two about, weeks ago, you know, whether the questions we're asking Tiger Woods are either one too tough or two not tough enough and you kind of were getting it from both mm-hmm. sides and i mean yeah. just when you're just a bunch of schlubby reporters and you're not even on camera in the media center that's one thing but when you're on camera i think people even more are are giving feedback i would imagine in a way that oh, yeah. uh, do you do you filter that out do you like avoid your mentions do you just confront it and try to put armor on like how do you deal with that yeah, I don't know. I think that that's still a learning process for me in this first year. Also, what you you, you guys are not schlubby reporters, so let's do some positive. <laughs> We're insulting self-talk. everyone else. There no. <laughs> okay, good. Um, it's funny that you mentioned um, Amanda, who's also one of my you know people that I see almost every week, one of my closest friends in golf, and we've been friends for a long time, and someone I constantly bounce stuff off of. Like sometimes I'll take a screenshot of something that someone said and send it to her, and. It, it at least gives me the opportunity to like talk it out with her because I would be doing the um, worst possible thing, which is engaging with that person on social media. Otherwise, every once in a while I crack and I do it and I always regret it because it just, it's not going to serve them. It's not going to serve me. Well, actually, no, it does serve them. They get a kick out of the fact mm. that they've gotten to me. You think you might be the first person in the, the history of the internet to win an argument? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just, it's pointless. So um, you know, I'm, it's, this is something that I, it's not a new thing for me. This is, has been going on since Miss America. So I've got that at least about the experience. Um, but just understanding that I was picked for this job for a reason. I have something very important to bring to it. I wouldn't get to do it if I didn't. So I just have to have faith in that. And that's that. <laughs> just put my head down on the pillow at night and know that I did a good job that day. You uh, you mentioned relationship building and how that's an important part of your your job as well because mm-hmm. who knows if it's going to be Justin Lauer who wins or if it'll be Joseph Bramlett or right. if it'll be Rory. Um, where do you feel like you are in terms of I guess in the last eleven months building mm-hmm. relationships like on the spectrum of everybody knows me and the other side being you know I'm still really meeting people. Where would you put yourself? Um, I think that I'm getting very close to the at least everybody knows me or knows who I am. And I'm not just some random girl that's at a one-off golf event. I'm there for at least 17 of their weeks. They know that when I'm there, that I'm with the golf channel, that's Kira, blah, blah, blah. I, um, I have players that I text. I, or, you know, if I need to ask a question, I could call. I have players that, you know, I've never actually spoken to, uh, and everywhere in between, but, um, it's, it's been really great to see how many players have been very, open towards me and very um just like willing to have a conversation and willing to ask you about you as well it's not just like me constantly asking them questions asking them questions like you know I've been put in a lot of situations as well where you know maybe it's a charity event or a social thing and 
those are the moments when you're really making those um, relationships and connections and you know, sharing a little bit about yourself and giving yourself some credibility beyond like, I'm just some random person at this event. Um, yeah, they, they trust me. They, or I hope they do. And they, they know that I'm there to do a job and that we're, we're, we're all there working together as colleagues. And I, I feel like it's, it's gotten um, like that part has gotten much easier, which has been really cool and exciting to see. And like, you know, I had a, I walked up on a range towards the end of the year. Uh, I think it was like Max Homa, Joel Damon, maybe one other guy. And, um, oh, John Augustine. Oh, this was at, uh, I think maybe Napa. And they're all warming up and they all kind of stood up and they're like, hey, Kira, what's up? You know, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. And I walked away and I was like, okay, this is going well. This is going well. People, <laughs> people are saying hi. This is good. <laughs> so what do you look forward to then in the new year? Like, how do you, how do you keep progressing? How do you keep feeling like you're making progress? I know that you're like a, I don't know if you're a goal-oriented person, but you're certainly ambitious and and you want to do well. Like, what does that look like as you progress? Yeah. So this year was just learning for me and trying to soak in as much as possible. And and that's been an amazing experience. And I'm always going to continue to learn, but I also want this year to be more of a confidence-building year for me and just digging deeper and deeper um, maybe doing more stories about individual players, you know, deeper stories, deeper conversations. Um, yeah, I, I think that the whole magic of this job is that it's the storytelling. It's the fact that you can interact with you know, hundreds of players and, the, and their caddies and the people around them and the amazing things that they've overcome and they do um, every day to be able to make this job of theirs happen, which is like truly a miracle for every, any one of them to be there to do this is a miracle. So to, to like tell the story beyond that, behind that is uh, really, I'm really passionate about that. So I want to do more about that in this next year and just kind of be a little more comfortable and know that like, it's going to be okay. Like, I don't have to be as nervous. I don't have to worry. Like, is, is something going to come out of my mouth? I know that things are going to come out of my mouth. Now it's just a matter of growing and getting even better about what those words are. Uh, are you bringing your sticks to every tour stop with you? Are you playing a lot? So I got some conflicting advice in the beginning that um, some folks told me, don't bring your clubs. You're never going to get a chance to play. Oh, and to those people, I say, <laughs> you have just completely betrayed me for at least the first half of, um, of the of the year. Yeah. So I, I the second half, I brought my sticks everywhere. I'm also, I'm playing in some pro-ams and stuff. So I got to like keep it together um, and, and <laughs> make sure I don't like completely fall off. Uh, so yes, I'm traveling. With my What's club. your game like? For the people who don't know yeah, what's the Dixon's game, like what are your handicapped strengths, yeah. weaknesses? I think last I checked, I thought I was a 12.2, but now I'm a 12.5. So maybe we don't need to talk about that. My goal was to get to nine by the end of the year. So I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, nice. But I've gotten really good off the tee, just straight 200 most of the time. Hell Every yeah. once in a while, um, I, I tend to pull it left. My pulling it left is my miss. My iron play has gotten so much better. My chipping has gotten so much better. My putting is absolute trash. Everything else, we're working on it. And wait, and you play, do you play out of Lake Merced? I feel like you yeah. post range videos from there from time yeah. to time. Yeah, I belong to Lake Merced and I take lessons with Pat Steffes, who's the head pro there. Um, he's, he's the best. He's amazing. It's completely, I'll have to send you guys like a, 
three years ago video of my swing and uh yes you know last week's video that. it's like a completely wow. completely different person yeah golf channel did you dirty when they they showed the right? from okay <laughs> we've we've overcome That's we right. made up <laughs> uh well it sounds like whenever dylan and i make it to the bay area we just have to count on Drop you to game. get us out at lake merced yeah yeah anytime come around we're getting a redesign gil hans is doing the redesign right now a historical renovation i think very nice all right, wait, before we let you go, I do want to just run through a few. I want to learn a little bit more about a couple players. Like who are some, I, I doubt we're going to get you to oh, dog okay. on any players. That would, that would seem counterproductive to your job. Oh, yeah. But who are a few that might be surprising <laughs> or, uh, or just like terrific interviews or good hangs or friendly or funny? Should we do one at a time? Who's funny? Who's funnier than we might think? <laughs> Who's funnier? Um... I mean, I feel like you already know this, but I feel like Joel, for example, Joel Damon is just like, he's so self-deprecating and always has something a little bit off the wall to say. Uh, I just, I love getting to talk to him. Um, that always, always puts a smile on my face. Um, and this is pretty funny on the way. Also like some of the Aussies, like Cam Smith will randomly be low key funny. That's a good um, one. I feel like people so, don't, I mean, yeah. You might assume it from like the mullet and like sometimes the outfits, but I feel like you don't necessarily hear yeah. from Cam Smith that often. quiet. Yeah, he's he's quieter. Like his interview, his interview isn't going to be of five years long, but he'll just give you a little zinger that like I'm like what? <laughs> what did you? Or he'll just he'll respond in a really matter of fact way, like you know what do you think about blah blah? And he's like well, I don't know, I didn't even know that that was happening. Like okay, well, it always makes me laugh. Which player surprised you most this year? Like someone you you didn't know at all who surprised you in a way that they had a little more personality than you expected. Maybe they were smarter than you thought they were. Uh, who surprised you most? So I, um, not that I didn't think this person was smart or personable, but um, so Rory is like a big deal, right? I was surprised with just how down to earth and normal he is. For, I just feel like if you're that good at something, like you can't also have a normal personality. Be normal. Yeah. yeah. Like you just, it's, it's first of all, unfair. And second, it's just, it's amazing. So um, he has probably been one of my just constant, like favorite interviews, always asks about you, always like will stay after to chat. And I'm sure you guys pick up on this as well uh, whenever you, you chat with him, but I just didn't expect that. Like, I'm just a reporter. Like I'm not anyone special. And for him to like stop and chat and he's like that with everybody is, um, yeah, that's definitely not something that I thought would be the case. Um, I thought, you know, cause there's plenty of guys that like, you know, they come up, they do their interview. It's their job. They walk away and that's totally fine. Um, but yeah, he surprised me with just taking that time because I know how much time they, they give. Are there any individuals that are still intimidating or are you kind of past that phase where any, anyone has star power? Us. I think I'm, the drop zone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm really intimidated by this interview, so <laughs> that's for sure. Um, yeah. So, you know, Ricky's not somebody that I have gotten to talk to a lot this year. So when he was at the CJ cup, I was actually a little bit nervous to do that interview with him. Um, which I, you know, he's he very nice and like the last person that anybody should be nervous about speaking to. Uh, but he's somebody that I just haven't had the opportunity to talk to a lot. So hopefully that evolves. Well, and he is very famous. He's like 
He's one he's of Ricky he's Fowler. Maybe the most famous. Yeah. yeah, he's Ricky Fowler. Yeah. Um, sorry about the sirens in the background. Um, <laughs> you missed the sweet, oh. sweet sounds. <laughs> um, so I, like Dustin Johnson is uh, always, you know, lovely to chat to and very nice. But sometimes he's not in like the most talkative mood or like he'll just mm. he'll give me like a one sentence or, um, you know, he just I'll be like, so about something, maybe something quite basic, like, you know, are you working on anything in your game? And he'll just be like, no, not really, just same stuff. I'm like, okay, okay. Like, and that, That's and my that... favorite version of DJ at times. Yeah, <laughs> just, like, yeah, yeah. completely straightforward. Yeah. Answer the question you've been asked and don't say anything. Exactly. Else. It totally makes sense. So that's one where I need to like make sure I've prepared myself to like be able to get to a certain place in the conversation where I can, um, you know, maybe go in a different place than most people would, would, ask him about because he's so used to answering these questions over and over and over again um so that's definitely one that i work on maybe a little bit more than others that's really interesting i love it well thanks for hanging with us kira yeah do you have any questions for us oh my gosh <laughs> yes um how are your golf games right now <laughs> they're gonna say how are you it's gonna oh. just break down why as well <laughs> wow this got really serious <laughs> No, no, no. Uh, our golf games, mine's in a little bit of hibernation. Uh, it's very wet here. I don't know. It's just soggy. Seattle is this really weird in between. Cause I grew up in Massachusetts where yeah. you just didn't have the option to play in the winter. It was, everything was just under snow, but here you can, you can do it. It's just like, do you, are you going to have a good time if it's 43 and your ball's no. going to plug on every shot and it no. probably is going to drizzle at least one to two times throughout your round. So I don't know. Yeah. Sean, what about you? You're under the ice. Yeah, I was going to say, my game's more in hibernation than yours. You're just Truly hibernation. Brain. My game is currently living vicariously through the people who are like a 15-minute walk that way that are at the outdoor driving range in Chicago, along the lake, just absolute gamers, yeah. lifers. The, I'm telling you, they'll, they'll be there for the next few hours. It's frigid outside, but they're doing it. So I'm just like, they're committed. I'm, optimi I'm optimistic about myself by just seeing the smiles on their faces. Yeah. I think that you guys actually, from your description, Kira, you guys would have a very complimentary golf game because Sean, maybe not the steadiest off the tee, but once he gets it in play, it's Great. pretty nails from there. So Great. I don't know, maybe when, next time when we'll we play at Lake Merced, Lake Perfect. Merced, me and Kira we'll versus you. We'll, we'll ham and Dylan egg it. Verse. Perfect. Um, well, I, I, one thing that you said there, Sean, is I feel like people from the Midwest or in the Midwest are so golf obsessed. It's just like, it shocks me all the time that like people from Wisconsin and Illinois are just so in love with golf and it's, you can only play like four months out of the year. So maybe that's why okay, the scarcity makes them just love it even more. That's right. <laughs> totally. You have to miss it. Uh, Kira, do you have anything to plug? Anything we should go read or listen to watch, check out? probably a lot of things, but I mean, I'll, I'll be back. I'll be back on tour. Um, uh, week of farmers. I'll be at Genesis. I'm playing in the at and I'm playing in the, um, Oh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it yet. I'm playing in another event. So just watch and please support and say nice things. And yeah, yeah. Be there for me, please. Say nice things. Yeah. All right. That's Kira K. Dixon. Kira, <laughs> thanks so much for joining us and entering the drop zone. <laughs>